Welcome to the Writer Dojo with your host, Steve Diamond. That's me. And Larry Korea. My mama always said life was like a box of chocolates. <laughs> Today's episode, Supporter Spectacular, round 10. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Writer Dojo. Glad to have you back with us. Um, you know, it's been a minute since we, since Larry and I have actually sat down and and actually recorded an episode, just the two of us. Um, we we had quite a few episodes uh, in a row of various interviews we'd done, some live episodes and stuff. So uh, you know, hopefully, you all have enjoyed those. Um, they've, I, I know, as we recorded and we were having a really good time. Um, you know, from from David Weber to to Casey Azell. I mean, Griff Barber, all these guys, they were great. I mean, Howard Jones's episode was awesome. Well, actually, we also have now a legendary Lost episode. We have a Lost episode. Which we haven't told him about yet. No, we haven't. Um, I'll tell him about it before this episode airs, so it's not a surprise. We actually recorded another episode at LibertyCon with Mike Massa. Yeah. That was great. It was a fantastic episode. It was and, the stuff of legends. And Mike talked a lot about uh, writing... Um, it was like using historical stuff and historical settings and historical characters. And it was super interesting. It was yeah. really good. All, all wrapped up with time travel. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was an excellent episode and it vanished. Like the file, yeah. we, we, we lost it somehow, uh, during, during all this. And so we're, we'll get Mike Massa back on. Yeah. I feel bad about that one. It was a really good episode. It too. was really good. So that will now be the lost episode. Yes. I mean, we, we reference it in like three or four of the other, well, the, like the black bag episodes as we were calling them. Yeah. Cause we, I mean, we, we, I think Mike was actually one of the first ones we did too. He was the first. Was the first one. Yeah. So sorry, Mike, if you're listening to this, we'll probably, we should have told you before this airs. So hopefully you know, yeah. but yeah, sorry, man. Yeah. But look, um, it's not, I mean, we, we know Mike, we're, we're going to get him back on. It's not a problem. Um, but, uh, you know, to, to kind of get back into things, it's been a little while and we've had quite a few questions pile up that we need to get answered for our supporters. And so that's what this episode is going to be. It's going to be a, a you know, a Q&A session here um, from our supporters. And again, if you didn't know you could become a supporter, you can. It's pretty easy. You go over to Anchor or Spotify or whatever the frick it's called now. Um, there's there's different ways you can contribute, anywhere from 99 cents a month to 10 bucks a month. And we actually use that money to really good effect. I mean, that's... That's literally the recording equipment that we record on now. Yeah, we bought all our mobile equipment and uh, all, all of that stuff. And and a really nice pe- Pelican case. We could fly with it. Oh, gosh. It, I'll tell you what. We took all that to LibertyCon, um, and it made traveling with it a lot easier, a lot safer. Um, uh, my, my son designed all of the, the internal like foam guts of it and, and did a bang-up job. And throughout the year, we're going to be able to take that to other locations and yeah. interviews, uh, other authors. So we're really looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah. Well, in, in fact, the, the very next thing that we're taking this to is going to be in November. And that's going to be 20 books to 50 out in Vegas. Um, you and I are going to be there. Uh, we have officially slotted um, time in a room where people can come and actually watch us interview other people if they want. Um, but I figure we'll be, we'll end up recording some other episodes too. Yeah. We're hoping uh, to get a whole bunch of episodes there too, just like we did at Liberty Con. Yeah. in, in a very different crowd. Yeah. Um, so we have, gosh, I mean, we have, uh, 
the owner of Athon Books is going to be there. Uh, Jonathan Mayberry is going to be there. Hopefully, we can well, get, him get on Jonathan the show. on. I bet we could. We know, yeah. both know him. I'm moderating the panel he's on. Uh, we're, actually, there's a whole bunch of really successful indie authors yeah. there. And I'd really like to get their take because mm-hmm. uh, most of my knowledge comes from a trade background. So I'd really like to get some of these guys that are like blowing up and doing really well in indie and get them on. We're, we're trying to get Rothman on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, he'll be there. Yeah. So. Yeah. He'd be offended if we didn't have him. I know. I know. Um, so look, we're, we're going to get some really cool people out there on the show. Um, that'll be fun. Um, so that's the next place we're going to take all this lovely equipment that, that, uh, that you all have technically you guys bought it for us. So, uh, we, appreciate we, we appreciate it. Um, all right. So Q and A's, um, I, I'm just going to get right into it, Larry. Okay, this one is from a supporter whose name is Mike. Uh, I didn't plan that very well. We were just talking about Mike Massa. Different Mike. Different Mike. So um, his question is, uh, he says, my name is Mike and I'm indeed a dojo supporter. Thank you, Mike. He says, whenever I'm editing my first draft of short fiction, I inevitably come across lumps of exposition and info dumps lodged between the teeth and gums of hair-raising action and pithy dialogue. Nice. Good job. Good Good description there, buddy. Sometimes the exposition isn't necessary to propel the story forward, but other times it is information I really want the reader to know. Any advice on how to craft the info dump into something that actually serves the story? Great question. That is a really good question. And that's hard, man, because we, I mean... I wouldn't say it's limited to short fiction either. It could go either way, but on short fiction, it's definitely more telling because you're working in such a smaller uh, uh, arena that that lump stands out more. Whoa, that's a hard one. I would say the best thing to do is if it's boring, fix it. But if it's not boring and it actually works and makes sense, it's not necessarily that info dumping is a bad thing. Right. I mean, it gets a bad rap because it's done ham-fistedly a lot. There's a lot of bad info dumping. But if you can do an info dump that's actually entertaining Mm -hmm. and is put in in a way that it's entertaining, like say you have somebody telling a story uh, to the narrator, that can work great. Um or if it's something the narrator is reading or something the narrator is, you know, just, uh, you know, deciphering the hieroglyphs off the temple wall, whatever it may be, as long as it's entertaining, it's not necessarily bad. Right. It's usually what gets you is when they have like the, the action comes to a screeching halt. And now here's eight paragraphs about the history of the place they just arrived in. I was editing a short story a really long time ago and it started off with a bang, literal, you know, gunshot to the face to a, to a monster, which is great. I mean... What's not to like about a story like that? You know, an intro. Yep. But like two paragraphs later, it goes into this page and a half um, description of the backstory of this character. Not, and it wasn't one of those like in in film where where like something crazy happens and you hear like the record screech. I bet you're wondering how I got here. You're asking yourself, how did this happen? Yeah. You know, it wasn't like that. It was just... Bang, bang, shot to the face. Well, when I was a young boy, uh, I learned that I had a blah, blah. And it just went on and on and on. And it's the context of the situation in which you're inserting that that info dump. Right. Right? You know, hair-raising, as, as he was saying right here, hair-raising action and pithy dialogue. Well, can you craft your info dump to be part of the action. Well, if your info dump is hair raising, then you're fine. Yeah, that's what I mean. What gets you is when it's not. Yeah. Uh, you know, 
honestly, too, another thing is look at it very meticulously and be like, what do I actually need here? Because a lot of times an info dump really isn't necessary. And like, let's say like you got that page and a half. Let's say that there's like maybe a paragraph of that that's really necessary for the narrative right then. Keep that. Well, yeah, because what he says here is sometimes the X or uh, let me see. Other times it's information I really want the reader to know. Well, what parts? Yeah. Is what's it, extraneous and what's not? Exactly. So is it, oh, well, um, my detective um, once had a ghost possess him. I don't know. It's like, okay, well, you know, you don't need 17 paragraphs to say that. I just said it in a sentence. Another way to look at it too is don't, it goes back to like when I have people uh, alpha read me, I'm, I'm looking for parts where they're bored or confused. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you think to avoid confusion, you need to give them a lot more information than they really need. You can parse out just what they absolutely have to have to keep from being baffled, but you can leave a lot of stuff unsaid until you have a better chance. So like a lot of times if you have an info dump, it's just because you're condensing too much vital stuff in one place dole it out a little bit. Yeah. Or, or, or what I'll do is if I'm doing info dump, like if I have a scene, rather than having all the info dump in one clump in that scene, let's say there's like four pieces of information that absolutely have to be conveyed. Well, I'll convey one at the beginning, and I'll convey two in the middle, and I'll convey one at the end. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Spread it out, because now it's no longer a dump. You know, it, it's the clumps that get you. Well, and, and on top of that, um, I, I, I was thinking about this in terms of, say, the, the, the werewolf cop short story I wrote that comes out in, um, in uh, Down These Mean Streets in, I think, January, February. Yeah. Something like that. Coming soon. Right? Okay, he, he's, he's a werewolf and he's a cop. Um, it would have been very easy for me to info dump in there and be like, well, here's how I became a werewolf. Once upon a time. Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. All, all I need to say is, yeah, I'm a werewolf. Had a bad situation once. Here I am now. Later on when it matters, you can can explain explain it later. And when you can explain it, you can also spread it out when you explain it. No, no, some guys are really good at info dumping, like David Weber. We had David Weber on the show. (laughs) David's legend. Yeah. Because David will literally stop and give you, you know, six pages of how the uh, spaceship engine works, you know, or whatever it is. But that's David, and that's the audience David's cultivated, and that's the type of stuff that David writes, and people look for that. They enjoy it. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. It just might be a bad thing for you and yeah. what you're trying to write. Yeah. Well, and 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 if it's, you know, in, in a short story, it's okay to not explain everything. No. See, that's the thing too is like the on the confusion thing on a short story, a lot of times uh, don't over explain. You can leave a lot of stuff open-ended on a short story because the reader's expectations of a short fiction piece is that everything isn't going to get explained. No. No, exactly. So, all right. Hopefully that helped you, Mike. Um, let us see here. Yeah, I think we've had quite a few questions because we haven't uh, actually done one of these episodes. It's been a minute. Well, because we had all those LibertyCon ones. Uh, yeah. Let's see here. Um, this is from another Mike, oddly enough. Wow. Um, <laughs> That's three mics today. I know. And the email's different, so it's a different one. Okay. How do I stop writing stories and trilogies? How do you stop? Yeah. That's interesting. Just go play Xbox. I know. <laughs> um, 
I, I, that'd be so, uh, that'd be so easy for me. I just go play Call of Duty all day. Um, does that mean like how do I like end them? Like how do I f- or, or how do I how do I? Well, it says how do I stop writing stories in trilogies? I, I mean, I, I think oh, the idea oh, oh. is is not not structuring everything into into three. And I get that, right? Because yeah. because within books, we tend to in movies and stuff, we tend to adhere to a three act structure, mm-hmm. and therefore books as a like series as a whole tend to adopt the the larger grand scheme of a three act structure yeah. for for a trilogy, right? Um, honestly, for that, I mean, it's just, I mean, it, it, there's a lot of ideas. It, well, it, <laughs> honestly, the thing is, I mean. Part of trilogies, we've talked about this on the show too, about writing sequels. There's the business perspective. If you have a successful thing, then you want to be able to follow it up with more successful things and get paid, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, hence, reason in, in certain genres, the trilogy is the expected thing. Or with us, a Bayon trilogy of five books. Yeah. Or six books, whatever it may be. Honestly, it's just the structure you go for and the story you want to tell when you set out the gate. And, and one of the pieces of advice I was giving people is don't set out, especially when you're new, don't set out to write a series. Don't set out to write a trilogy. Write that first book so it can stand alone on its own. Yeah, I mean, that we, we talked with Tony Weisskopf about that in one of the, the episodes a while back, right? Yeah, because what happens is you don't know if that first one's going to sell good enough to make it worth your time to keep visiting it for the investment of time it takes to write two more books. So don't do that. Write the first one and, uh, and have it be a standalone thing. Now, how do you stop... I can't tell you specifically because that's going to be a psychological issue for, for each individual author. Some of us are just long-winded. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like if you look at Monster Hunter, it's a self-contained story. Yeah. I put a ton of things in there that could be expounded upon, but it was a self-contained. Hard Magic, same thing. Yeah. Self-contained story could be expounded upon. Yeah. Uh, Son of the Black Sword, not so much because right. I went into that knowing it was going to be a series because of that, that point of my career. So honestly, guys, I would just look at it as like when I'm coming up the plan to say, I want to tell a self-contained story with the potential for expansion. Well, I mean, like with residue, I could have changed, I could have changed one thing basically and had it be a completely isolated story, you know? Well, most horror is. Yeah. And, And you would file that under, you know. Uh, sci-fi horror thriller mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. but if you were if you were the file into the horror category most horror isn't a trilogy unless it's you know movie sl- slashers that kind of thing it's a different thing totally different thing but like most horror is a one and done most dean Koontz thriller type novels yeah. are one and done mm-hmm. you know uh the ones that get the series usually is because it's got as we talk about the the books that are named after a dude yeah you know those are the ones you get the long continuing series but yeah. if you just set out to write a self-contained story from the beginning, that's what you're going to create. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. All right. Uh, there's another question here from him, but I'm going to save it um, for a for an episode, actually. Oh, cool. It's about, um, do you have any tips for an aspiring writer on how to write short stories in the, the nuts and bolts oh, of Oh, yeah. It? We actually have a whole episode we coming have whole up episode on short fiction. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a pin in that one. Because I'm editing another anthology yeah. of short fiction. Uh, we were actually just started that. Yeah, yeah. And this is going to be a big one. Monster, Ooh, Hunter, yeah. Monster Hunter Files 2. Yeah. I'm excited. Um, okay. This one is... Uh, this one is, a, is, a, is an interesting question here. And, and I don't really know how much 
um, how much we'll be able to say on this because you and I are pretty, pretty just generic when it comes to this. Um, it's set, and I don't have no idea how to pronounce this name. Uh, it's like Tiamoid. I don't know. It's foreign. Um, and I barely speak English these days. It says, have you, have you guys any experience with writing software, software intended to help professional writers do what they do? Could you share that experience with us on the dojo? No, I don't. I mean, word. I, I, I use Microsoft Word. I use Word. I, I've had people ask me, hey, Larry, what do you think of was it Scrivener? Scrivener. Scrivener. Yeah. I was like, I don't know. <laughs> what do you think about such and such that helps you outline? I don't know. Well, I, I couldn't even tell you what they are. I mean, for me, it's, I, I use two things. Well, three. One's very, very high tech. Um, I, it's, it's pen and paper. Oh yeah, me and Steve and another unnamed author got together for a unnamed project the other day to yeah. brainstorm. Not a, not a not a writing project. Not getting you excited. It's it's a game thing. It's, it's a fun. game thing. And so three really smart dudes got together, and you know what my tool was? It was I stole a notepad out of the backpack of my uh, son who's in middle school. Yeah. He hadn't used it yet. It had a couple little maps that he drew for his D&D game. He's in middle school. He's not going to use it. <laughs> yeah. And so, so I, I actually, I think it might be the one he takes to church to doodle in. Oh yeah. But that's what it was. And so, so we had three really smart, professional, talented authors eating Mexican food and brainstorming for a couple hours. And I just used a notepad and a pen. Yeah. For me, that, I, seriously, I use Word. I just use Microsoft Word. Yeah. Or um, if I need to organize things in a list, I use Excel. Yeah. Because I'm an accountant. You can sort of, all my, all my, uh, note-taking organizational, um, outline stuff is always in word yep. and on it. Yeah. Word is a piece of crap on a lot of stuff, but the stuff we're doing isn't that complicated. Yeah. I mean, we've used, we've used Google docs for other um, things. Yeah. I've, I've actually, I'm new to Google. In fact, I had to have Brian Urbanic who he had on the video game episode. Yeah, yeah. Brian had to explain to me what Google docs was and how it works. It's just a, it's just a cloud cut rate version of, of word. Yeah, it's it's word that multiple people can type into it yeah. in one place, but it lacks a lot of the key shortcuts. I yeah. found I discovered that while I was because that's it. I've been using Word for fifteen years nonstop as oh, a yeah. as a writer, so I know every little shortcut mm-hmm. thing. Um, honestly, guys, I I don't know if I, I don't it, I know some writers who are into that and they find it worth the investment and the time, but uh, I know there are some nifty features out there about organizational stuff, you know, and we'll get some people. We'll get some people to, to come on and talk about some of those tools. Yeah. I've I'm seen, sure we'll meet a bunch of them at 20 books. I know there's one that has some sort of thing where it like grades your prose. Like that's actually the one thing I like despise on word is that word has the little thing for, um, grammar. Yeah. And it's completely useless for the stuff we write. Right. Yeah. Completely, it's garbage. I ignore it. I, I just, ignore I have it. seen people talking about Grammarly. Oh, um, Grammarly. That's the one. Yeah. They, they use that. Um, as far as prose goes, it sucks. Yeah, I I've, I've never I, at my at my last day job before I got laid off. Um that was that was one of the things we were using. But we were using it to check for plagiarism. Ah, uh, yeah. Which is which is a good useful tool, but but we were using it for like marketing and technical writing. On that note, did you did you see that I'm one of the authors that the AI whatever ripped off for um to learn from? Well, I mean, yeah. I I can think of a lot worse authors they could use for yeah them. so so whatever the chat whatever thing ai robot skynet thing is, is it's ripped off a bunch of my stuff i'm sure yeah uh. 
All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we, we still have a few more questions because we, we have lots of questions. So we'll be right back. Dr. Megan McAllister was already an unusual human. NASA astronaut, professional astronomer, polymath, when she encountered the man in the black suit that night in West Texas. What Division I Agent Echo didn't know when he recruited her for Alpha Line was that she was even more special. But he'd find out soon enough. Award-winning author Stephanie Osborne uses the urban legend of the beings who show up at UFO sightings and make the evidence disappear to craft her vision of the universe we don't know about. Division One chronicles this universe through the eyes of recruit Megan McAllister, a.k.a. Omega, and experienced partner Echo, as they handle everything from lost alien children to extraterrestrial assassination, to galactic invasion, and more. Alpha and Omega is available in Nook, Kindle, and trade paperback wherever fine books are sold. Pick up your copy today. All right, everybody, welcome back. Okay, Larry, this question is going to kind of, I don't know, it's going to be a little bit of a continuation of of the the trilogy question, but instead of it, it's going to go the opposite way. Um, uh, and this is from Swayam, is the person's name. I hope I pronounced that right. Again, we've established that neither Larry and I know how to pronounce anything. I barely speak English. Yeah. In fact, uh, tangent. But I I saw on Twitter the other day, uh, you were talking, or maybe it was Facebook. It was. I don't know, Facebook or Twitter. You were talking about how no one knows how to pronounce your last name. Oh, yeah. No one ever says my last name right. And I'm and I'm like, well, it's Portuguese, right? You're like, yeah. I'm like, oh, so it's Cohea. <laughs> See, that's the thing. That's how actually how you would say it. Because uh-huh. uh, and, and like the, the Azorian version is really a soft H sound. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, no one. So I was like, remember when everybody got all mad at George Martin because he mispronounced some names at, uh, so at the... Come on, man. And I was like... There's racism, dude. Dude, literally, in in my forty eight years of life, I would say seventy five percent of the time when someone tries to pronounce my name after reading it, it's wrong. I, who gets offended? Get over yourself. Well, of all the things to get mad at George Martin, him not knowing how to pronounce a name is the one. Oh yeah, using. there's like a thousand things you can get wrong, mad at that guy for. He's a schlub, but the <laughs> he's an entitled <laughs> schlub. But the, like the the. Oh, this guy got my name wrong. It's a microaggression. It's like, no, dude, you got a weird spelled name. Get over yourself. Yeah. Like, it's like, there's plenty of white people whose last name ends in ski, who (laughs) their name gets mispronounced all the time and they aren't offended. Well, I mean, when I lived in Mexico, um, again, I was, I was an LDS missionary, right? So I have the name badge, the black name badge. And one of the people came up to me and looked at it. Again, I'm in Mexico, Spanish. The word diamond, as spelled, doesn't look right when you're trying to, if you're if you're from Latin America. Is it a diamante? It's diamante. Yeah, diamante. And so, but but if you're just looking at it and you see diamond, yeah. you're like, the guy looked at it and he looked at me, looked at it and looked at me and he goes, elder dia diam, diamond, diamond, di, demonio? Which means demon. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, eh, whatever. 
Well, so I, I was in Alabama, and uh, so when I would be in an area that was uh, primarily like a black neighborhood, like I served most of the time in Inslee, which is North Birmingham, right? Mm-hmm. And so literally like 96% black, right? And uh, it was Corey. They just, Elder Corey. It was like, hey, Elder Corey. No one could, nobody could see Korea. And, and so it's Corey. I, I got Corey. I wasn't offended. I just, I, I spent, I would spend months at a time being called Elder, Elder Corey. Yeah, the, and the, I was fine. This, the, the question that was not asked here that we are answering oh, is, yeah. <laughs> is, um, that was a diversion. Uh, is, is, um, should you be offended if someone mispronounces your name? The answer is no. Don't freaking worry about it. Yeah, writers, get over yourselves. Like bunch of prima donnas. Good grief. I what? mean, look, okay, just from a straight up psychological thing, how many times have you read a book and you're in, in or, or, or just, been reading throughout your life and you're like and you've you're pronouncing a word a certain way and then one day someone says it out loud and you go well crap is that how that's pronounced oh shanara shanara yeah yeah terry brooks says it shanara yeah what's one of the i I said shanara my whole life i did too and i'm sitting on a panel with terry brooks himself and he goes shanara and i'm like oh whoa okay (laughs) obviously i'm wrong but you know i don't think terry's gonna get offended you know, I, I actually asked him that. He 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 said he didn't get offended by it. Yeah, he doesn't care. No, I he's mean, a cool guy. He has millions of reasons not to be offended by it. <laughs> he call it whatever he wants, as long as the check cashes. <laughs> <laughs> no, my my point is, guys, as an author, um, stop being offended by everything. Yeah, it's okay. Just chill. That wasn't even a question. We just got in a strange diversion no, there. Yeah, but we 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 asked ourselves our own question and answered it for you. Congratulations. You yeah. I mean, technically, we are supporters of the podcast. I've supported this podcast a lot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. This question is from Mike. No, I'm just kidding. Um, as, as we were over the break, as we were looking at some of the other questions, three or four of them more were from different people named Mike. Apparently, gonna... apparently we have a lot of people named Mike. This is also why I uh, have such a hard time getting through my charity list. Like, so I, we auction off ch- uh, red shirt spots for mm-hmm. charity. We paid for spinal surgery last time and I'm still... Using those names. That's because half of you guys are named Mike and Chris. And I can only put so many Mikes and Chris into each book. And it, otherwise it confuses people. Yeah. So I got to spread y'all out. Yeah. All right. So this question again, uh, Swayam, I think. Um, he says, in an episode a couple weeks back, you talked about how uh, newer writers are being encouraged to write trilogies for their selling power, which is true. Mm-hmm. Um, but are often dropped because readers don't pick up... Um, don't pick up the following books. We remember we, that was our, that was our rant episode. Yes. Um, but when writers try to write standalones, they can't get published because those books have less selling power, Yep, which is true. Now, what we just talked about in terms of trilogies is write that first book as if it could stand alone in case you get screwed like this. Right. You don't have to, you, what, if you look at like the stuff I've done in the, what I try to do is I will tell a self-contained arc. So there's a beginning, middle, end, I have like a bad guy who gets defeated. I have a challenge that is overcome, but there's a broader world. Mm-hmm. It takes place in a world, but I don't have to answer every question in the world. And I can even have references to uh, events that are going to happen in the future. Or that happened in the past. I can introduce other potential adversaries. I've done that a lot where this guy is just over here. We're probably going to have to deal with him someday. Yeah. But you don't have to explain it all, but you have to hook, put these hooks. Yeah. And if you read Monster, and actually for for a new guy, I I scored on that one. I I rolled the dice on that, and I did really good. 
yeah. I, I set a ton of hooks that I didn't finish off and I didn't exploit. Some huge ones. Yep. Huge hooks. You know, who's Frank's? I mean, yes. heck, look how I end the book. I mean, it's like, hey, we straight up nuked the old ones. Eh. He had it coming. And the thing is, but I could have Excuse walked me, away. It, I don't want to misgender the old one. Uh, it, it's it's all genders and none simultaneously in a, <laughs> in a universe of eternal madness. Um, and squid, mostly. So <laughs> I, I, I had these hooks, but the overall story with that uh, fight against this one bad guy trying to blow up the world, they were triumphant. But... It opened up so much other stuff. So that's, that's I think, the ideal way to do it. Mm-hmm. So you can go one and done and walk away. Or you can have enough hooks that you can immediately flow into the next story. So on that, his question goes, what about duologies? Oh. Now, there are a few people I've seen do duologies. Um, I, I, I think, I don't think there's a wrong answer here. If you want to write a duology, write one. You know, like, like whatever. Um, he, here's what I do think the challenge is with duologies. It kind of feels like you have one foot in the camp and one foot out of the camp. You have, you're saying, oh, well, uh, I don't want to write just a standalone, so I'm going to write two books. But I also don't want to write a series, so I'm only going to do two books. You don't see that very often. And you I really don't. I actually don't know, like... If there is a publishing industry reason why, like a business reason, I'm 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 literally looking behind Larry at at all my bookshelves, and I see three, five, um, ten. Yeah, I don't really see any duologies on my shelf right now. The things I can think of that that. I'm, like, I'm trying to I'm drawing a blank on titles but I know this has happened where it's been just one giant book split in two split in two yeah I know that happens once in a that while that happens a lot especially in but but a lot of times it happens in series yeah there's a very real possibility that might happen with Son of the the end of uh, Saga the Forgotten Warrior depending yeah. on yeah, how it shakes I, I, out I don't think anyone's got a problem with that it right. might just be a really big book nah <laughs> split it in two I'm working on it right now so um, yeah, I, look, I mean, tell the story you want to tell. Um, if that takes, if, if that story takes two books. Okay. Okay. So for example, um, me and Mike Rothman, mm-hmm. okay. We've been writing, um, we've been writing these Alicia Yoder books. Yeah. New Arcadia. Yeah. New Arcadia is the first one that that's already out and Operation Thrall comes out on Black Friday. Um, and, and we're, we're tying that one off right now. The, it's going through edits right now. So that's, that's, that's meant to be an ongoing series, you know, not unlike Monster Hunter or whatever, you know, or, or like Jack Reacher or okay. uh, Repairman Jack or whatever, right? M- more Repairman Jack. Yeah. It's very much Repairman Jack in a Michael Crichton I love world. Repairman Jack. Obviously. That's the only time I've ever seen you geek out is F. Paul Wilson. He's so cool. So um, with this, the first book came out. And it kind of serves as an introduction, but then the second book really ties, really kind of ties a bow on the introduction of this character and tells you who she is. It forms a loose duology, and then we're we're gonna go off from there and, and do things. But it's not by itself, if that makes any sense. It could be, and at the end of at the end of Operation Thrall, I mean, if if 
you know, if the world got nuked the day after, um, well, one, no one would care anymore, but you know, it it would be okay if those two books were the only two. Now that's not what's going to happen. I mean, we have two more in the pipeline to be released next year, but point is tell the story you want to tell. Um, we live in an age where it kind of doesn't matter anymore, man. I mean, between, I, I think you're going to find it challenging to publish a duology with traditional public publishers. Yeah. That, but, but indie? Indie, I don't think there's you any... You do whatever you want. I can't no see any reason you couldn't. Wow. Yeah, no one cares. I'm not thinking of any reason. No. So, so I would. That. My only thing I want in indie is I would, I would be hesitant to have a gap, too much of a gap between them. If I was going to do two books, like if I was going to do a duology, I would try to bang, bang. Yeah, back to back. Back to back, pretty close release. Yeah, I think I agree with you on that one. Yeah, I don't. I, I wouldn't stretch that out if it's only going to be two. No, no, not at all. I don't really have a co- concrete business reason for that off the top of my head. Just my instinct would be I'd want those, I'd want those close. Yeah. Okay. Uh, our last question for today, and this, this goes back to a really old question that you and I were talking about from another guy named Mike, oddly enough. I'm not joking. <laughs> the question isn't from Mike. It's about, um, it, it's from uh, the, the friend and writing partner of a guy named Mark, a uh, guy named Mike. We were talking about, um, oh gosh, what was it? But we, we called, we called this guy, we're like, we, we called him a savage brute in one of the questions. I'm trying to remember what, what the question <laughs> I don't remember was. This one. Anyway, the, the question's from Nick. Um, and he says, uh, all right. So, so Nick, Nick has this question and he says, it, it's, it's a rather large question with background and stuff, which is fine. The gist of it is he's, uh, he's getting out of the army soon and he wants to know about interning with publishers. Oh. And so he says, what's the best way to ask to intern with them? Um, I know that is a thing. It is. It is. He's like, how should I approach publishers? Just a quick and dirty short email. Um, should I mention that he's an author and wants to get involved? Um, you know, how strongly should I emphasize that I want to focus on writing, even if I'm willing to train and work in other areas like editing? Hmm. So uh, publishers have lots of very diverging jobs within the companies. Well, and the e- they're wildly different people at mm-hmm. different publishing houses too. So I don't know if there's an easy right answer on this one. Here's what I will say. Most publishers are smaller than you think they are in terms of personnel. Right. Yeah. Okay. They're small businesses. doesn't matter how much money they bring in every year. They're technically small businesses from a employee count. Right. And, and think about it this way too. Um, all of the authors that work for them are technically independent contractors just from a business standpoint. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 uh, I'm self-employed. You get a 1099 from them. Even though I write books for Bayon, I'm self-employed. Correct. So anytime you're in a small business, and you and I have very firsthand experience working together, oddly, uh, with all this, not oddly, but naturally. But when you're in that, when you're working in a small business as a literal employee for the business, you're very rarely doing just one thing. Um, when you and I worked together, for example, we were, we, we dabble, obviously our main job was accounting, but then we were doing pricing. We were helping with HR here and there. We were helping with contracts. We were helping with- I hated the human resources Oh gosh. That was why we had Mike. (laughs) Uh, Another Mike. Well, we hired a guy named Mike. He was great. He was awesome. Love that guy. Um, 
I think we're supposed to have dinner with him soon. Oh, cool. Um, but, you know, uh, we, we would help with writing on business development proposals. Although they tended to, they, they kind of kicked us out of the room a few times because we, we kept telling them how bad their writing was. Yeah, we actually were writer writers, not government <laughs> contract writers. Government contract writing is like this bizarre, illiterate, weird crap. It's, it's, it's written like a weird, like a weird third person divorced from yourself. Trying to summon Cthulhu. It's so freaking It's weird. so awful. Anyway, point is, you're wearing like six or seven different hats, okay? And the smaller the company, the more hats you're going to wear. Yeah. Because uh, small companies can rarely afford to bring you on to just do one thing. Okay. So to your question, to, to some of your questions in there, Nick, um, if you're, if you want to intern in with a publisher, you want to work for a publisher, you're going to have to do more than one thing for them. Almost guaranteed. And as far as like the nuts and bolts of how do you actually apply for this? I have no idea. You know what we should do? Maybe maybe at some point we should get um like Chris Rocchio and Who Jason Cordova on. Have done that. They, yeah, yeah, they've they've both they've either interned or just full like straight up worked. Or, like, or been like entry level employees yeah. at a, like both of those guys have done that. Yeah, I, I bet we could I bet we could get them maybe Butler in to talk about their experience in terms of, of what it was like, how they got on board with Bain right. and, and started just doing either small time work for him, interning work, low yeah, level work. I don't even know if this is, is this the kind of thing they post even or I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. So Nick, we're going to, we're going to have to do some research on that one. Cause we do have some friends that have done this, uh, like Jason Cordova, Chris Rocchio. I honestly have no earthly idea. Yeah. On that. I know that publishing industry interns exist. They do. Well, I mean, I mean, we know they exist because Chris was one of them. But I don't know where they get there. Yeah, I don't know. It's magic. It's just like Bigfoot. I don't know. Yeah. How, where do babies come from? I don't know. I... Magnets. How do they I work? don't know. I'm not, I'm not a biologist, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's an old school reference for you guys. We're, we're going to do, we're going to do some research for you, Nick. Um, okay. So, uh, that's about all the time we have for you today for questions. There, there's some more questions, but they, um, they tend to be either they're, like they're too big. Like they're, one will be a, f- a full episode. Yeah. One will be part of another episode we're going to record a little bit later here. So um, bear with us. But yeah, again, look, if you guys have any questions, especially you supporters out there, um, throw them our way. We're happy to answer them. So uh, yeah, so that's about all the time we have for you today. We appreciate it. Thank you, all you supporters. Um, thank you, all you non-supporters out there too, for just listening to us and, and putting up with our random tangents in the middle of a of the middle of an episode. <laughs> um, no, we, we we really do appreciate you all. Um, again, this is the Writer Dojo, and uh, we'll see you on the next one. Writer Dojo is Steve Diamond and Larry Korea, produced by Jack Wilder and Bear and Hair Studios. Theme song: Word Mercenaries by Craig Nivo. New episodes come out every Wednesday wherever you stream your content. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support us by going to anchor.fm slash writerdojo, by leaving a five-star rating and review, and by helping to spread the word. To advertise on the Writer Dojo, email ads at writerdojo.com. All questions and comments can be emailed to questions at writerdojo.com. And I was like, it's racism. Dude, <laughs> call it whatever you want as long as the check cashes. <laughs> <laughs>